Today is September the 8th, 2017. It's 8.36 a.m. My name is uh, Constable Derek Carlson, spelled C-A-R-L-S-O-N. Regiment number is 52824. I'm attached to the Edmonton uh, Major Crimes Unit in Wetaskiwin, Alberta, currently. And investigating file number 2017-115-7384, uh, homicide of Miles Nasland. Helen was sitting in a stark beige interrogation room in the Wetaskiwin RCMP detachment. It was an unseasonably hot September morning in 2017, six years after she and her sons reported Miles missing. Constable Derek Carlson had gotten Helen her medication. He offered her a cup of coffee and a breakfast sandwich, which sat growing cold on the table between them. Got you a coffee there. I'm not sure. Nice. It's, uh, it's black right now, but... The interrogation had started the night before, and Constable Carlson reminded Helen of her rights. And uh, I can let you know there's a couple things. Um, there's a, that camera's still on, recorder's still on, and you have to be uh, cognizant that um, that nothing has changed. I just want to make sure that it, has have you talked to anybody in the cell block? Like, has anybody threatened you or promised you anything? Or because I know. Some- After approaching Helen at work, the RCMP had searched the farm for almost two weeks. They found Miles' Chevy Cavalier buried behind a building not far from the house, and Miles' .357 Magnum and a .22 pistol in a pond on the property. And at the bottom of a dugout a few miles away, police divers found a large metal truck toolbox that had been welded shut. Miles' body was crammed inside. There was a grocery bag over his head. An autopsy was done on September 5th, 2017, exactly six years to the day after he was killed. The pathologist found two bullets in Miles' brain and soot on the back of his skull, indicating he'd been shot at close range. In the interrogation room, Helen sat looking down, staring at her hands. She picked at her jeans, sometimes wiped away tears. I'm going to make it an assumption here, because last night, I didn't go straight to bed. I went downstairs and I reviewed more of this file, and I actually reviewed a lot of the scene photos from your house. I, there's a video of your whole house on the inside. Helen, I saw not one picture of Miles anywhere. Like, not one picture. And that speaks volumes. And now I, I'm starting to understand why that is. There's memories that you want to keep alive. There's memories that you want to have close to your heart. And then there's memories that you just can't escape. And you'll do anything to get rid of those memories. But I want you to think about that, Helen, because I know that's important. Then we're going to talk about that. In the five-and-a-half-hour interrogation, the officers bring up something they call responsibility pie. They know everyone on the farm played some role in killing Miles and getting rid of the evidence, but they want to know who should take the most blame, who gets the biggest slice of the pie. I'm Jana Pruden, and this is In Her Defense from The Globe and Mail, Episode 4, Responsibility Pie. 
At first, Constable Carlson did nearly all the talking. He talked about his childhood, his memories, his kids, farming, building rapport. While some of his monologues felt a bit random, he'd obviously thought about things that would connect with Helen. He said he'd grown up on a farm too, and he made it sound like he understood what Helen had been living through with Miles. He'd spoken to people who knew the Naslins, like their friend Phil, who had witnessed Miles abusing Helen. The, su- the suffering is very important to consider, right? And from, from what I know, and from what I understand, you were suffering living with, living with Miles and living in that home. We briefly touched on, and without an explanation, uh, what I believe to be what's happening on your, in your home in, rela- in relation to domestic violence. Speaking to people like Phil and learning from an outsider's perspective what he saw, and, and, and I know guys like Phil aren't there at 3 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday night or at 8 o'clock in the morning on a Thursday to see exactly what's going on. He just sees, he sees when you and, uh, and uh, Miles are sitting around the kitchen table playing cards. Miles gets too drunk, calls you a bitch or whatever, and then tries to take a round out of you. He sees that, but he doesn't see the daily, daily grind of actually living with this guy. I think you did what you had to do because it was necessary. It was an escape. The suffering had to end. Three other officers came in and out of the room. Richard Pratch and Derek Carlson seemed to be doing a good cop, bad cop thing. Sometimes the two men sat facing Helen, their knees almost touching hers. They told Helen they believed she was a good person, who had no other option. Actually, it was more that they wanted to believe she was a good person who did what she had to do. But they needed her to tell them the whole story to be sure. The longer she stayed quiet, the more they appeared to doubt her. I really thought at the beginning yesterday that you were a good person. I'm still clinging to that. Forced to do something for necessity, it had to happen. I've, I've watched the interviews with Travis Vader because that's an opportunity to talk to or observe an actual cold-blooded killer. Helen, you're not that person. Because, Helen, I don't think you're the Travis Vader who's tracked down two elderly people and executed them and stole their property. You're not a cold killer, Helen. Am I wrong, Helen? Travis Vader was notorious in Alberta at the time. He killed two seniors and still has never said what he did with their bodies. Travis Vader will look right through you and tell you that there's just no there's just no remorse there. Helen, you're not that person. Travis Vader used to call me from jail when I was covering his case. I can confirm she is not that person. You're a 57-year-old mother of three. She was actually 52 at the time. You've made many decisions in your life. You could choose to make the right one here today. It's up to you. You can choose to add context to what happened. 
and you can choose to be truthful and honest and a good person or not. That's up to you. I'm a good person. I know you are. Thank you. Thanks for telling us that one. At some point, Helen started to talk a bit about life with Miles. She told Constable Carlson about how she tried to kill herself. And again, he sounded understanding. Did you ever reach out to anybody, like a family member, to ask for help? But really, I didn't really have a family member or a friend that I could find that was going to do me any good. Trying to kill myself for years. Helen, like, we gotta talk about that. Well, it helps me understand what's going on with you. Helen, if you're willing to take your own life, I, I, I don't know what to, what to say. I need to understand why. I need to understand how, how it could get to this point. I hated my life. I didn't have a life. So you tried to escape by killing yourself? Is that? Yeah. How did you try to do that? Overdose. You remember the exact year. I put a mental block in my past. Helen, trying to kill yourself is, is serious. That's one way to escape an abusive relationship. That's one of the, uh, I would say classic, but it's one of the indicators of domestic violence. When people try to take their own lives, they're either, they're just, uh, inundated with the pain and suffering of the everyday life or something traumatic happens in their life that they can't live with anymore. And I don't know from what you told me, you said it was the abuse. There was abuse involved and uh, selfishness of, of Miles. What you told me, it sounds like a, it's an ongoing thing. It's a, it's a, not, uh, not a one instant. It's a long period of time of, of abuse that maybe it caused you to do that. Is that right or is that wrong? Yeah. We can't go back in time. We can't give you that lifeline to say, Helen, here's an out. Helen, here's a safe house. Helen, here's a family member you can live with. I want to know why why you didn't leave the farm? I tried. Tell me about that. I felt threatened. He was abusive. 
controlling. I was told I could not leave. But while Constable Carlson seemed like he wanted to really understand what had been happening on the farm, Pratch began accusing Helen of a far more devious plan. You have given me zero, no indication that being a physically abused person or battered wife is the issue here. Zero. So now it's stuck. It's left with me. When I look at this file, the entire file rests solely on the fact that Miles was a colossal ass, that he was burying you in debt, and that for greed and financial reasons, he was murdered. And then his body taken, sealed up in a toolbox, dumped into a dugout, the car buried in the ground, and an elaborate story devised, very simple, to make it easy for all the boys to remember, was devised to throw the police off the track so that nobody would know. I just articulated to you cold, calculated, methodical homicide. Policing 101, that's textbook example. If I'm wrong, Helen, tell me. Tell me that I'm wrong, that this was not a cold, calculated homicide that was planned and orchestrated. Helen's lawyer had told her not to speak to the police. This is what any defense lawyer will tell you, even if you're innocent. Don't talk. But it's the interrogator's job to get you talking, to get a confession that will hold up in court. And it was working. It seemed like there were things Helen wanted to say, but she wanted to check with her lawyer first. She kept asking again and again. I just feel we need to talk to my lawyer. I have a couple questions for my lawyer. That's, I think that talk to my lawyer before I answer these questions, please. I know it needs to be talked about. I just, I don't understand why I can't. So I was my lawyer just to ask a couple of questions. Again, I'm sorry. I, I just feel I need to confer with me here. Um, like I feel I really do have that right. She actually didn't have that right. She'd spoken to a lawyer already, and since nothing had changed, police didn't have to let her talk to him again. Also, unlike on American TV shows like Law & Order, in Canada, adults don't have the right to have a lawyer with them while they're being questioned. Would it be better to tell the police everything? To describe the sadistic violence she and her children had endured for nearly 30 years? Helen didn't know what to do. We haven't talked much about Daryl. Daryl is Miles and Helen's middle son. There's always been a divide between Daryl and his brothers. Here's how Wes put it. Daryl's a perfect child. Because Daryl's just like Miles. Daryl followed Miles everywhere. Daryl acted like Miles. Daryl did what Miles wanted. 
Nobody else wanted to be around him, but Daryl liked him. So Daryl's perfect child. I got in touch with Daryl, but he hasn't agreed to speak with me. When Helen was arrested, Daryl was 29 years old. He'd had several head injuries, including fracturing his skull in a highway accident a few years earlier. He also had a serious drug problem. Daryl had his own trouble with the law. His record includes charges for theft and assaulting a police officer. On a couple of occasions, Daryl had pretended to be Wes, sticking Wes with an arrest warrant for some thefts at a Walmart, which caused Wes a lot of trouble. And that was before Daryl went to the police about his family. Daryl had spoken with police twice after Miles was reported missing, and he repeated the story the rest of his family was telling. The mouse had gone off to kill himself or maybe been killed by some guys from the city. At the end of August in 2017, he went to talk to Constable Carlson. This time, he said he woke up at 4.30 in the morning to a gunshot and the dog barking. He said Neil was dressed and that he could hear somebody running upstairs. He said, My mother was coming downstairs with her housecoat and her nightgown thing on with a pistol in her hand. And Neil stands up, and he looked at me, and he just gives me this stupid look, and he walks straight at her, and she's bawling her eyes out, and he took the gun from her, and he went upstairs. Daryl said he heard two more shots, and that Neil came out and said, he's fucking dead now. Daryl said he wanted to call the police, but that his mother and brother threatened to kill him if he did. He said Neil dragged their father's body outside, and that later they put the body in a big metal box, then took it in a fishing boat to the middle of a pond on their grandma's property. He said Helen burned the mattress down to the springs. Daryl said Miles didn't abuse his family. But he also said, no matter what he might have ever done to somebody, he did not deserve to be shot in his sleep. I couldn't agree with you more, Carlson told him. To have somebody shot in their sleep like you just told me, that doesn't get any more cowardly than that. The way Daryl told it, he wasn't eating much of this responsibility pie. He said the biggest slice belonged to his mother, the second biggest to Neil. That's how it goes in a lot of criminal investigations. People are trying not to take the blame, pinning it on each other instead. But Helen wasn't like that. He told me that when you're out there having a cigarette, you'd ask a question. It's pretty, pretty important question. You're wondering about Wes and Neil, right? I can tell you that they're both here, right? The, I'm sure you knew that before, did you? I thought so, but I didn't know. Yeah. Got to remember, Helen. This is it's hard on everybody, right? They're 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 speaking to the police, and they're uh, what they're telling the police is very compelling, right? You gotta you gotta. I'm not gonna discuss about what they're saying right now. I'm gonna tell you that it's it's compelling. I want you to understand that the. Uh, 
it's not only it's not only you that's in this in this situation it's other people and i and specifically people that you care about directly care about it's a very powerful thing i i know you care for wes i know you care for neil i know that daryl's your son i don't know he'll always be your son you can't change that i know that you will love him because that's the type of person you are you can be upset with him but i know that deep down inside you helen you do love him by then helen understood that daryl had turned them all in but the police let her know they didn't really believe everything he was saying Peter, sorry to interrupt you helen sorry to interrupt i'm not going to be a second i just wanted to interrupt um uh, talking to neil as you know i want to tell you that we're painting Daryl with a much cleaner brush than he deserves. That's what I'm saying. So that's all I'll say. But and I can tell you, Helen, you're not alone. Uh, you're not going to be the one who breaks the camel's back here. Uh, Neil is up upset. But we've talked through it, and we've, we've gotten to a lot of facts. I just want to let you know. Yeah. I'm going to talk about Daryl. Yeah. This story isn't exactly what's uh, portrayed to us. Right. Yes, this was a tactic, but they also knew Daryl wasn't telling the whole truth. There were too many things that didn't add up. See, what happens is Daryl tells us the truth about some stuff, and then he minimizes his involvement in other stuff. And that might just be self-preservation. That might be because he honestly doesn't remember. The boys were the most powerful tool the police had against Helen. Her desire to protect Wes and Neil was far stronger than wanting to be seen as a good person or any concern she had for herself. We can't change the past, but we can affect the future by doing the right thing in the present. Because I'm telling you right now, having your entire family go to jail, because that's, that's what the prospects are looking at. We know Wes hasn't been truthful with us. We know Daryl's side of the story and we've been able to corroborate a bunch of it. We know what his relationship was like with his father, so we know it's not him that did it. The police started playing Helen parts of Neil's interrogation, which was happening at the same time elsewhere in the building. Here, Neil is reacting to what Daryl has told the police. Just a heads up that there's a lot of swearing in this next bit. Fucking lying piece of shit. Cowardly little fucking drug addict. Another fucking way around there, bud. He wants to fucking change uh, change things up and put himself in my fucking shoes and fucking switch everything around like he's fucking doing. I'll fucking flatten him. Fuck him. Okay, fuck let me circumstance. I'm sorry, to fucking circumstance. Yeah. I didn't have a choice, okay? Yeah. I protect my fucking mom. Yeah. My mom's done everything for me. She's fucking made my life possible in more yeah. ways than one. Did you hear that first part? I didn't have a choice. I was thrown into a circumstance. I was thrown into a circumstance. Yeah. So we know that he, in some way, participated. Right? I mean, I know Mark talked to you yesterday about 
the level of work that it was that would have taken to take Miles out of the house. And that's not something that you could have physically done on your own. No, right? He was put into a situation. He didn't have a choice. He has to protect you. So if we, and I've been watching very intently, let's let's skip over that, the roughest part there. He told us that the boys were downstairs, that you were upstairs. The event happens. Miles is now dead. What happens after that point? I had to do something. Okay. What did you guys do? I do believe you know that, don't you? But Helen, it's important for us to know from you what went on. I don't want to see Neil's desire to protect you be the thing that causes him to be blamed for stuff that he didn't do. You're the mother here, Helen. Yes, there's going to be blame that goes around. Yes, people are going to take responsibility for their portion. But you're the parent, you're the mother, and you have a choice, you have a chance to make sure that the boys don't start either taking blame that's not theirs or trying to blame stuff on others that they shouldn't be. I won't let them take the blame. Well, we know they were involved. Like I said, Helen, I know you want to protect them too. But there is physically no way that you could have gotten Miles out of the house, into that toolbox, and out in the middle of that dugout. Don, who shot Miles? More than five hours into her interrogation, Helen realizes both she and Neil could be charged with murder. Well, you can't charge two people with murder. Yeah, we can. I've, I've, I've worked on files. In fact, I'm going to court on a file next week where four people have been charged with the same murder. I don't understand how. Because the four people were responsible for it. They took action. They did things to cause the death of that person. And so let me be clear, they did stuff to cause the death of that person. That's not including the stuff that happens afterwards. What happens afterwards is different. That's accessory after the fact. And, And that's why Wesley was not charged with murder, right? Because we were under the belief that he wasn't there at the time. Who shot Miles? Yes, and that responsibility belongs to one person. And who's that person, Helen? 
Did you hear that? Helen just barely whispered the word. She said, the responsibility belongs to one person, myself. Yes, and that responsibility belongs to one person, myself. This is the beginning of a confession. Now Constable Carlson wants to get as many details as possible. That was very courageous, and you're a good person, okay? Let's, let's talk about that. Is this something that didn't... Was, was this planned out? Um, was this planned? You know. When did it happen? What time of day? What time of day? Was it night? that when Miles was in bed? And then what happened? You left the bedroom, didn't you? Where'd you go? I didn't know what to do. Panicked, right? Wanted everybody's hurt to stop. Yeah. Where'd you get the gun? It's just in the house. What color was it? I don't know, a gun color. Can you describe it for us? What the gun looked like? It's a 22 pistol. Whose gun is it? I'm really not sure. Whether it was Miles or one of the boys or where it came from. We had a lot of guns. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I stopped my yeah. But it was in the house. Yes. When you go into the bedroom, you have the gun with you? Yes. And what do you do? This is where it's important for for being credible, right? You told us that there was only one person. There's only one person in shot models. Is that right, Helen, or is that wrong? We've cut a lot of silence out of this interrogation. A full 30 seconds goes by before Helen speaks. The person that killed him was. Very important that you told me that. Thank you. I want you to tell me how you know how you know that. Did you kill him else? And how do you know you killed him? Ellen, how do you know you killed Miles? Shut him. Where? Where did you shoot him, Helen? Just wanted his suffering and everybody else's. And I can appreciate that. That makes sense, right? Makes sense. 
grabbing the next book. What I need to know is you, you told me, you said quite confidently that that you're you're the one who killed Miles. And you told me that you shot him. I was asking you where you where you shot Miles. And now I understand why. I want to know how now. Well, it's one thing for you to say that you're responsible. And you remember when I asked the question, you know, who's responsible and then who was there? And, you know, who actually did the action? We ask questions like, where did you shoot him? Because that's going to help us understand if you're telling us the truth. Because there's two ways to take responsibility. One is actually doing the action yourself, or two, telling somebody to go do it for you. You're telling us that you're the one responsible. And I believe you're telling me the truth. But if you're the one that actually did it, you should be able to tell us where you shot him. If not, I'm left to believe that somebody else actually did it. Or that there's the potential that somebody else was involved in that portion. We're only looking for the truth, Helen. Shot him in the back of the head. Okay. How many times? Helen asks to lay down. The interrogation is over. Helen, what you did today is very courageous, okay? I respect you for that. Very respected. Like the head on the farm was not always the easiest. I understand. Miles is not always the nicest person. It's created a violent home that was difficult to live in for you and your, your boys. The goal of an interrogation is to get a confession and enough detail about the crime to secure a conviction in court. The police needed her to say that she did it and how. They told her they understood why. Like Constable Carlson said, the suffering had to end. But Helen was charged with first-degree murder. So was Neil. It's the most serious form of homicide in the criminal code. Planned and deliberate murder. If convicted, they would both spend at least 25 years in prison before they could even apply for parole. I'll end the recording now. Next time on In Her Defense. My age of first degree murder charges of distance. Defense is made by Kasia Mihailovich and me, Jana Pruden. Amber Bracken did our field recording. Our executive editor is Angela Pachenza. 
Special thanks to head of visual journalism, Matt Frainer, and head of editing, Ian Bokoff. Our theme song is The Fighter by Jen Grant. Arrangements by David Crosby. In Her Defense is recorded at McEwen University by Sheena Rossiter, Emily Rubaita, and Sasha Stanoyevich. David Crosby mixed this episode. I've been getting a lot of emails, and if you have something to say, I'd love to hear from you, too. You can email me at jprudeen at globeandmail.com. To learn more about this podcast and domestic violence in Canada, go to tgam.ca slash inherdefense. That's defense with a C. You can sign up for our newsletter there, too. If you are experiencing domestic violence and want to talk to someone, you can find resources and your nearest shelter at sheltersafe.ca. To support our journalism, consider subscribing to The Globe and Mail. Our listeners get a special discount on new subscriptions at www.globeandmail.com slash podcast deal. Take care, and thank you for listening.